and I lived in uh, Florida until I was uh, about 30. That's when I moved out to California. And, and while I was in Florida, uh, my mom and dad are blue-collar people. They're working people. They, they always have been. Neither one of them finished uh, a high school, which is not unusual for um, people of that era. Um, but I was lucky enough that uh, in high school I, I loved it. Um, when I turned 18, I, for some reason it popped in my head, I developed a thirst for knowledge and ended up going to uh, Florida. Back then it was called junior college. Now it's called community college. But I went to a junior college, got my AA degree, and then I transferred to Florida State University where I uh majored in theater. Uh, I had a dual speciality uh, in uh, set design, lighting design, and acting. I, I did all of that and enjoyed every bit of it. When I finished that, um, this is what's kind of important um, for people that may be interested in, in theater or entertainment. I realized that I couldn't uh, make a whole ton of money uh, in theater. It just wasn't as lucrative as I wanted to be. And my dad said, uh, he was a member of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, uh, which is uh, union uh, electrical trades. And he said he could get me into the apprenticeship um, in South Florida. So I spent the next four years in South Florida doing an electrical apprenticeship. And at the same time, luckily enough, I wasn't able to do uh, very much acting because I had night classes. But I did tons of set design for a theater that no longer exists, unfortunately, uh, called the Hollywood Playhouse in Hollywood, Florida. And I did some wonderful shows, uh, you know, a lot of musicals. Uh, and, and the funny thing, it was it was a theater that was basically developed and created by uh, New York Jewish people that moved to Florida. And they were a wonderful group of people. Um, so I did that until about uh, 1987. And then in 87, I decided... Uh, that I wanted to pursue acting more than uh, anything else. And uh, a good buddy of mine that I've known since ninth grade, Steve Sears, said, why don't you come out to Los Angeles? You know, you're not doing anything right now. Uh, I had recently had a marriage that ended. So I came out to California, and I figured, okay, while I'm pursuing an actor, becoming uh, an actor, I would um, be a waiter or something like that. But when I got out here... Um, a a friend of mine that uh, was in the neighborhood where I was living at the time said, well, why don't you go to the studios? And I said, well, I'm a union uh, uh, electrician. I'm IBEW. She says, no, they're IBEW. So less than two weeks later, I ended up uh, being sent out to Culver Studios where I became a production electrician at Culver Studios, and I worked there for eight years. And then that job ended, and um, I was in one of those where they say when one door closes, the other one opens up, but the dark hallways are really difficult. Well, I was in one of those dark hallways for a brief period of time, but then I, I got a job at Walt Disney Studios, and through just the way life works sometimes, three years later, um, the gentleman that was running the electrical department uh, left and they offered me the job and I have been uh, running the electrical department at uh, Disney Studios now at, ever since I was 
41, so I've been doing it for 23 years now. And as a matter of fact, I was offered the job on my 41st birthday. So now I've been there, like I said, for running the shop for 23 years, and I've got about three more years left, and then I'm uh, finally going to pull the plug and retire. But uh, it's it, it's been a very enjoyable 23 years, and I've learned so much from it. Did you um, know Mr. Disney? Uh, no. <laughs> um, he died in 1965. Um, so I never met him. I never met his brother, Roy Disney. But um, it, anybody that has had the good fortune to visit the studio lot, um, he, he is just all over the place. Uh, his wisdom pervades the whole studio. And, and what uh, is most interesting about the studio is that it was designed to be similar to a college campus. So it, it doesn't have the, the structure of, you know, your regular business where you're in a, a tower. It, it, it has a lot of trees, a lot of nature. Uh, you know, the buildings are, are designed uh, aesthetically pleasing. So it's really a, a joy to work there. It's it's one of the uh, um, most fortuitous things that I've been able to uh, have come to me in my life because I, I love beauty. Uh, it, so um, that has worked out really well for me. At the same time, I've been able to um, do what they call under-the-line uh, uh, work in the industry, and uh, it's been very pleasurable. So uh, I, I've enjoyed it. I actually met Roy because I, I knew Mr. Walt Disney passed, but because uh, Roy lived a pretty uh, long life. <laughs> it, yeah, uh, they, they have changed the industry uh, so much, uh, you know, from the time the inception of Walt Disney started, you know, his, his animation throughout the decades. Uh, I mean, they have had such an influence on our culture. Uh, in many, many ways. So I, I'm, and, and it's a very good company to work for. Um, I am required to take um, classes um, online about um, how we deal with um, ourselves as a business, and they uh, require you to live up to standards that are high, but standards that I totally believe every company should follow. Um, so ethics and, and all of that, business ethics, are, are quite important to Disney. So I, I appreciate that because uh, I also concur that ethics are a most important part of our society. Um, what films did you work? Did you work on films? I mean, I assume since it's the electrical department, you worked. Well, on well, uh, I haven't at Disney, and but I will say this. Uh, let me go back historically to when I worked at Culver Studios. Um, I was hired uh, at, at Culver Studios. It was a small, smaller studio. It no longer exists anymore. It actually. Amazon has bought it, and they've been renovating it, and it's now going to be uh, their campus uh, for Amazon in, in Culver Studios. But 
when I was hired uh, back there in 87, uh, I was basically, since I had a background in theater and uh, uh, I had a degree in college uh, in theater and it, it, they made me a production electrician. And basically what you are when you're a production electrician at a studio is that, that you interface with the production companies. In other words, if the production company needs certain amount of power, uh, especially at a smaller uh, uh, um, studio, you don't bring in an outside company to do it. The studio people will do it. And so I would interface with them often um, with the production companies and uh, give them the power that they need or if they have um, uh, power they need for, let's say, their food, craft services, I would supply that. So I would often get calls to go on stages to take care of problems or, or help them out. And so that's been my uh, relationship with uh, those uh, production companies. So I've seen a lot of movies, and, and at Culver Studios we did a lot of, um, back in the 90s, music videos. So I have actually uh, talked to and met um, people that uh, are actors and, and stars uh, many times. Uh, uh, Michael Jackson is one of them. He he did his uh, music a, a number of his music videos there, and I happened to had to go and work near where he was at. So while I walked back there, we just said hi to each other. How's it going? Yada yada yada. So I didn't really get to know him, but I did interact with him. That's kind of what happens in a smaller studio, and. Uh, those are the kind of things that were very interesting when I first came out, especially since I was also at the same time uh, pursuing acting, uh, which I had the fortune to also uh, be able to do in a small way um, back then. So it, it was really enjoyable. I, I enjoyed it a lot and learned, learned very much from it. But also, um, in those electrical departments at the smaller studios especially, um, you may be a production electrician for a period of time, but then if uh, some construction work needed to be done on the lot, we would also uh, go in and, uh, you know, do renovations to uh, buildings or renovations to rooms. Uh, we're also on a small studio lot. You have um, maintenance that needs to be done, so you would be called to do that kind of stuff. On the bigger studio lots, they actually have separate uh, uh, sections of departments that will be just for maintenance or just for construction or just for production. Um, so did, I, did you work in all of those different departments? Uh, at Culver Studios, yes, I did. Um, and since I, I will put this out there and you're talking with uh, somebody that is on the hands-on part of the production part and the construction part and the maintenance part, anybody that's interested in doing this kind of work, I highly recommend it. I, I know that back in the 80s especially there was a big push for everybody to go into college, which is a good thing. I, I, I was a college graduate so I had no problem with that. But also there's a number of people out there that uh, college may not be 
the direction for them. Um, what They may be the type of people that like to work with their hands. I am. That's why I was a set designer and I also build sets early on. I love to work with my hands, um, but at the same time, I also like to work with my brain. So there are programs that you can take, like for me it was the electrical apprenticeship uh, where I learned how to become an electrician. But if you're interested in that, I and, and you also have a desire to be interested and move into the entertainment industry, those are some directions that you can take that um, will move you into those industries and you can make a decent living at them. So I highly recommend that to anybody that a trade school is a worthwhile endeavor and in many times I got to tell you um, people that are in trade schools have a uh, better standard of living than a lot of people with college degrees but it's something that's not well known because uh, back in the 80s and the 90s college degrees were pushed so much um, so anybody that's interested in uh, working with their hands and learning a trade and are interested in the entertainment industry that is one way to get into the inter entertainment industry. Um, what kind of set designs did you do? You said you did set designing for films? Uh, no, I did set designs for theater. Um, I did, um, I, I've done a whole bunch of musicals. Uh, I've done Anything Goes. Um, I've done, God, I wish I had my resume right in front of me right now. I don't because I've done so many. Uh, Death Trap. Um, I've done um, Oklahoma, um, I've done Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, I've done um, Death of a Salesman, that was one of my favorite set designs, but unfortunately I didn't uh, build it. it, I wasn't available to build it at the time. So I've done probably over 25 set designs for the Hollywood Playhouse. And the funny thing is, um, it was a community theater, but it was a community theater that had a big budget. Because in South Florida, back in the 80s, theater was a, a big part of the culture back then. So uh, there wasn't a depth of, of money. Uh, there was tons of money going into this theater. So I was able to really enjoy the process of putting on some very, very good plays. I, I loved every moment of it. But the funny thing is, when I came out to California, I had hoped that I would be able to uh, continue with my set design uh, and also pursue the acting when I came out here. But when I got out here, I realized that 90% of the theater that's done out here isn't really about the production value. It's more about um, showcases for acting. So I realized um, that I would not be doing any set design out here, and I didn't for, for the longest time. However, in 2003, I believe, um, and it's a little bit of a story, uh, I was called by uh, Steve Sears, and he was involved in a play um, called, oh, I'm blanking on the name, Anyway, this specific play 
their set design had to um, oh the play was called waiting which just popped in my head um, the set designer had to leave they weren't able so they needed somebody really quick to do a set design for them and I said oh and he asked me if I could do it I said yeah sure no problem and uh, I gave them since I didn't know what their budget was I gave them three quick set designs one on the cheap one if you've got a like middle budget and one if you've got a large budget and they took the design they build it. I actually didn't even uh, uh, help with the build of the set or anything. And the production ended up um, really well, and, and it worked out. And the playwright, uh, the uh, the play itself was produced and written uh, out and uh, uh, was published. And it's the first set design where I was actually given professional credit for a set design and this was like 30 years after I had designed a set so it was it was quite funny to see that um, cool. but it was enjoyable after so so long of a, of a pause in my set design to, to do something like that do you know who was in the play the actors no I do not uh, um, as a matter of fact, it's so long ago, I, at this point in time, I can't even think of who the playwright was, but uh, Steve was involved with the show, so that's how I was brought in, and the difficulty with that is I was brought in at the same time I was doing uh, um, my uh, job as the foreman of the electoral department, and, which it takes up all of my time, so I was not able to give them you know, the amount of time I, I would normally if I was a professional set design, but they were happy with what I did and the show became a real success. But as far as the actors, they were Florida State people because it was a production uh, as an outreach program of the Florida State Theater Department for people out here in California. So um, that's that was a, a enjoyable experience for me. Cool. Um, so when you said you you worked at, at at Disney and you worked at Culver City, did you have any interesting things happen in at either of those studios that just like knocked you out? Um, yes. Um, I you know sometimes you have interactions with people that um you never expect, and I I want to give. A compliment to an actor that, luckily enough, sometimes you meet people um, that you see on TV and you really like what they do on TV, but then when you meet them professionally, they don't uh, stand up to what your expectations, as well they shouldn't, I mean, they're living their own life, but of what your expectations of who you think they would be. But there is a gentleman that um, I, I have high regard to uh, uh, knowing his body of work. It's James Garner. Oh, I, we're, yeah. I met him too. He's a lovely oh, man. Did yes. Oh, what did you work with him on? Well, I didn't work with him. I was, oh. uh, I, mine's a little silly little story. Uh, really quick, I was working at Universal Studios, and this was before City Walk or any of that back in the 70s. I was a teenager. And I was uh I worked for uh crowd control. Um but really I worked in the parking lot. 
and uh, my boss had sent me out to <laughs> to guard Barnum Gate because there was an access road between the uh, the the where the freeway in Barnum is and uh, the studio, and so I had no car, I had no walkie-talkie. There was like a little chair, a little table, and an umbrella. And um, they dropped me off there with water and my book, and I was just sitting there. <laughs> and James Garner came up in this little golf cart, and he looked at me. I think his daughters were a little older, but about my age. And he said, what are you doing out here all by yourself? I said, I'm guarding the gate. <laughs> I, I was like 16, so, and I looked like I was 14, because I always looked younger. He said... Young lady, get your stuff and get into this uh, golf cart. And I said, okay. It was James Gardner. Um, anyway, so we're talking. We're having a really nice chat, telling about school. My, I wanted to be a, an actress and all of my aspirations. And he's really sweet, and we're talking. And then he says, no, you stay right here, and you're not in trouble. And he went into the gate, and he asked for the person who was the manager, and he, I could hear him outside yelling at him for leaving this young girl out there that anything could happen to her, and she had no car, no walkie-talkie, no way of uh, getting help if anything should happen, and never, ever put anybody, male or female, in that situation again. And then he came back out, and he says, you're not in trouble. Now go inside. <laughs> And, and, you know, and thanks to him, I got a promotion. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, you know what? That's exactly the kind of guy he was. Uh, that's why I, I, I hold him in such high esteem. My story is that uh, it was at Culver Studios. He uh, had uh, no longer, uh, he was no longer working on the Rockford Files, which I love that show. It's one of my favorite shows. Anyway, uh, he was... Uh, the show, which I do not remember the name of, but I remember he was uh, a government official, like a city government official, and that was the role he was playing. Anyway, um, so I get this call to go on to the stage. Uh, somebody needed something down there, and usually what happens when you get a, a call to go on a stage uh, from the electoral department, you'd go on the stage, and when I would get onto the stage, if they weren't shooting and people were just mulling around, I would holler out, uh, somebody called the electoral department, something needs to be taken care of, and usually you would have a first AD or a second AD walk up to you, and they would tell you what they want. Well, I did that. I walked in, said that, and nobody walked up to me, and I'm like, okay. So I said it again really louder. You know, and, and I'm a loud person. Ask my wife. She'll tell you I'm a loud person. <laughs> anyway, so I did that, and again, nobody walked up to me. And I, I, I'm like, okay. And all of a sudden, off to the corner of my eye, I see this guy amble up to me. And, you know, he had hip problems, so he, you know, I could see he was, like, ambling up to me. And he says, what can I do for you? I turn around and look at him, and it's James Garner. Wow. And I said, oh, oh, Mr. Garner, I said, I'm just, I was called on the stage, but you got more important things to do than to, you know, help me here. And he said, no, and he used some, you know, some language that I'm not going to repeat here on the call. And he said, these people, you know, they don't know what the heck they're doing. I'll help you out. And he did. And um, he 
he took me to a first AD and they helped me out. And that had stayed with me for, for you know, ever. It, it's still with me because that's the kind of guy he was. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm, I'm going to fast forward this story to uh, working at uh, Disney Studios. He um, took over the John Ritter, uh, 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 not the role, but the spot in the show when John Ritter died. And um, I was there when all that took place. And I don't know if you know the backstory yeah. of John Ritter dying. John, yeah. But he got, you know, we're located in Burbank and we're across the street from the hospital. There's Hospital St. Joseph's Hospital that's across the street from our studio. And John Ritter got sick on on set, and um, they took him across the street, and of course he never came back. He died, you know. And uh, the whole production was in array for a little bit of time. And John Ritter was a great guy too. Um, I, I never specifically had any interaction with him, but all the stories, you know, the talk, you know, the mm -hmm. talk gets around about how people feel about certain actors, producers, directors, and the stories were always good. Well, they brought on James Garner to be the grandfather, and um, what uh, Mr. Garner would do is that uh, they were uh, shooting on stage, I want to say stage, stage six, but he would sit outside the stage on the grass and smoke because you're not he was a smoker and you're not allowed to smoke inside so he would set up a chair outside and one day i walked up to him and i said mr garner i just want to tell you a story about you know years ago i'm sure you won't remember but we had a great conversation and uh that it's just the kind of guy james garner was and uh i that will stay with me forever yeah i call uh, him my hero yeah yeah, he he's a he was a great guy. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Anymore. I know, I miss him. Yeah, but you know, I, I've I've had those interactions um, on many shows. Um, I I'm going to I'm not going to tell the actor's name, but I will tell you a, a, a number of movies that he was in. Uh, they were the Die Hard movies. Mm -hmm. And he was doing a movie um, at Culver Studios, and this shit just shows you the difference between how people think of other people. Um, this was at the time period where this gentleman was uh, making millions of dollars on a, a movie, and um, he made some really disparaging comments about um, union workers that work with their hands in the movie theater and saying uh, in the movie industry saying how they're making way too much money and it did not bode well there was a lot of, of animosity towards him after that and we felt it at the studio um, but you know that's just kind of the industry some people are great people to work with and some people aren't and uh I, I've seen both sides of it. I know. I had, uh, I had a, um, my first, no, my second movie I w worked on as an actor. I, um, I was one of the, um, w well, they call them under five line care, uh, people. Yeah, I, I have done those. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, um, I was, I was one of those. And then, you know, uh, 
we hate hung out with the people who were the, what they call atmosphere, what used to be called extras. And this actor who was really hot, he had come off two really hot movies. He was the lead. And he was the biggest snob. He was just, he, he wouldn't talk to anybody but his director and leading actress. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't even talk to the character actors or anybody in the crew and, except for, uh, I think, the assistant director and the cinematographer and people like that, people who could help him as an actor. But he wouldn't talk to anybody else. So fast forward, oh, I guess 10 years, um, I was at a movie award. And he was, he had uh, changed, uh, he had married, he would mellowed, and he recognized me because my face hasn't really changed that much over the years. And he said, I want to say something to you. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, how can he even know who I am? Yeah, I'm surprised he remembered you. And he said, because I, I actually said my line to him. Maybe that's why, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. um... But he said, I want to apologize for my horrible attitude. If I could apologize to every single person on every set that I did this to, I would. But people I encounter, I am doing that. And he handed me a red rose, because they had roses that they gave to all the, the actors that were in the star area. And he said, I just wanted to say sorry. And that was it. That was the entire conversation. But I never forgot it. <laughs> Bravo for him. You, you, you know, um, it, many people go through their lives and they never realize the impact that they have on people. Uh, but those that do, I, I give them credit because they've done some work on themselves. Uh, they've done some self-introspection that uh, sometimes doesn't occur uh, in life, not only in this industry, but in in life in general, I I had the same kind of thing happen to me, not directly, and, and I'll share this story with you. It's Suzanne Summers. Oh. Um, she, uh, you might know that when she was working on, God, and it's funny, it re reverts back to another actor we were just talking about. John Ritter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, company. John Ritter. Um, anyway, she had gotten a bad reputation for treating people poorly, you know, really. And, and it hurt her career for a while. And um, she ended up uh, being part of this, I don't know if it was a movie or a television show or what it was, but uh, at Culver Studios, when I was at Culver Studios, and I w got a call to go into her dressing room to do something I forgot, forget what it was. And since I had heard all of the stories that, um, uh, you know, about her from the past, I was definitely on my best behavior going in there because I didn't know what to expect. And when I went in there and talked to her, she was one of the nicest persons that I had met, and, and it totally surprised me. And what that said is, yeah, she learned from it because she took a hit because of her behavior. But you know what? So many people that have that behavior never recover from it. And lucky enough, she was. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's my story with somebody that had a bad reputation and they ended up turning it around and making it a better a, a, a better situation for themselves. So 
I, I give her kudos for that. Yeah, I think that, and and I think and it, it whether it's just growing up or spiritual or just just realizing that you're being a jerk. I'm not sure which of those each of them are, but it, it's a good thing to see. Oh, okay, I I have to make myself a better person and 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 correct my faults. I think more people need to learn this today. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, and since we're talking about the Culver Studios days, um, I'll tell you a few more stories about Culver Studios, and then we can move on to uh, some of my stories at uh, Disney that have more to do with the electrical part of it. But um, at Culver Studios, like I had said, there were a whole bunch of um, uh music videos that were done there. Somebody uh, up high at the studio knew uh, had an end to people that did uh, uh, music videos. So there were a lot of music videos that were shot at Culver Studios. And I had the um, uh, interesting uh, experiences of being next to, not necessarily talking to these people, but being close enough to, to observe them uh, out in the wild, <laughs> as they say. But I've worked on music videos, uh, interacted with uh, music videos that had Madonna in them, and uh, an another one, I'll tell you a story about a 3 a.m. call to the stage that I got, and it's quite interesting because, you know, it, it was the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, I cannot give you this performer's name, but let's say he uh, was high up in his field, and he still is. Uh, um, he, he was a steward of his field, as they say. <laughs> anyway, I got a call to this stage okay. at 3 a.m. They were ready to shut things down and uh, because these guys work late, you know, because most of their shows, when they would come on to the lot, if they're not doing music videos, and this one wasn't a music video, this would be the time where they came on to prep their shows before they would take them on the road. So they would do the whole setup on the stage, uh, or uh, on the sound stage, and um, get all the kinks out of it before they took it out into the uh, real world. And I got this call to go on the stage because they were already shut down, but they wanted to talk to me. And as I'm walking through the door, um, there were two people walking towards me, one of them being this singer, and the other one being a person that uh, works with this singer, I'm assuming, I didn't know who he was, but the guy was holding up a mirror, and the other guy, the singer, was tooting something off of the mirror. Well, back in the day, uh, that was when cocaine was big, so that's what I'm assuming it was. But I just shook my head as I walked past them. I, I didn't even, you know, acknowledge them really, except for, excuse me, I had to go on the stage. But I could have been anybody. I could have been a police officer. And it just amazed me that the person didn't think that this was anything of, you know, consequence. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people when they get up to a certain level where they kind of feel they're untouchable. And um, it, it really, it did surprise me, and that's one of those other stories that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Now, the reason I bring this up is that at the same time, while I'm working at Culver Studios, and I was an actor, and I was 
pursuing actors, and I was uh, lucky enough. My boss at Culver Studios allowed me to, uh, if I got any acting gigs, gigs to take off work and and do those. So I had done some also under five work with um, some of the soap operas. Uh, I, I done like. Uh, three different soap operas, but multiple times with soap operas, um, all under five work. Anyway, what I had noticed is that um, they would have casting calls on the studio for, for actors, and I would notice sometimes that these actors that had shows where they were stars on these shows um, came onto the lot. These weren't happy people because they haven't worked now for 10 years. You know, they, haven't, they hadn't had a starring role for 10 years. And especially this one actor, and I don't recall who it was at this time, but I recall the situation. He drove on to, to the lot with an old, kind of worn out uh, Mercedes Benz that he probably bought when he was at the top of his game. And now he came on to lot, he didn't treat people well, he wasn't happy, he wasn't enjoying life. And it really makes you look, if you really look back at how many actors have long lives in this industry, there's not a ton of them. Mm -hmm. There are so many that reach a high level and then fall to the wayside. So it, it really brought a different viewpoint to the way that I view this industry than I had had before. It's interesting because as you were reminding me something. When I was a kid, there were shows like The Love Boat and Fantasy Island that a lot of actors got a chance to, uh, older actors, got a chance to come back and do stuff and act. And, uh, and then in the 90s, there was Murder, She Wrote, but now there's nothing. There really is nothing for a good character actor to come back to, or an older actor to come back to. And I kind of feel like, you know, the, even there's no really good murder mysteries for them to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the, there's so much more product being put out there, um, but... Yeah, you're absolutely right. Most of it, as we know, is skewed towards a younger audience. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's there's nothing like the murder she wrote and the uh, uh, other ones that allowed character actors and stars that you know aren't doing full shows anymore to do. I so mean, even when I was a little girl, there was Love American style. You know, I mean, there's always been something, and now there isn't anymore. I don't think that's fair. Yeah, well, unfortunately, that's what the business is like. And um, if you go into the business not realizing that, then you're in for a world of understanding eventually because you'll you'll discover that. Yeah. You know, if, if you're aware of it. Especially for women. Women get eat up much faster than men. Oh yeah, yeah, total. Um, so yeah, it's an it's an interesting business. Uh, it's a wonderful business um, because creativity is what it's really all about. Uh, and I, I even on the un underlying groups that are 
the ones that build the sets, the ones that, you know, put the props where they need to be put, uh, put build the costumes the way they need to be built, all of that. These are highly creative people, mm -hmm. um, all of them. A and they're also people that are motivated towards a common goal, um, which is also a wonderful thing because um, we're able to work in large groups of people with each other um, towards a, a, a wonderful, um, in many ways, and I'm going to bring up a movie that I don't think is wonderful, though, so there's also other people that are involved in that kind of stuff. Um, they, they enhance the uh, uh, life of people that are able to view this stuff, and we all learn from it. But there also are those movies out there that I just shake my head and say, how did this thing ever get made? Um, like the movies, oh, there's a whole few of them, and, and I, I, I don't like these movies so much that it, they're even hard to be in my mind, but it, it's like those movies where you're caught in a cage with five other people, you know, and you've got to discover how to get out of this cage, but as you do, there's carnage all over the place. And, and the, those types of movies, I, I just don't get because they don't supply anything but carnage. Yeah. So, uh, um, like I said, I cannot remember the name of the movie because I, it's just not part of my, my what I want to keep in my brain. I can't blame you. Um, we're coming to the end. Did you want okay. to, do you have one last little story that you want to tell before we say goodbye? Um, yeah, I think that, uh, especially, um, for the people that, even though we didn't get deeply into the, uh, uh, um, backlot people, I think the biggest thing is, is that if you're a, a construction worker, if you're a carpenter, if you're a plumber, because if, at the Disney Studio lot, we have a plumbing department. You know, we have a construction department that builds uh, things for buildings. So if, if you don't feel you want to be part of a production company where you're building necessarily building sets and stuff like that, uh, you can also become part of the facilities group. Um, and, and they're at, at the bigger studios, especially they're all union. Uh, some of them you have to go through a process of doing a, uh, a, a training for it. But if you've already done the training, you can reach out to these uh, uh, unions and sign their books, go in, and many times, like me, two weeks later from being out of town because there was so much work being done, I was called out to a studio, and I started a whole new career that I am so happy that I became a part of. Um, so those would be my last words. Okay. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, do you have a website or any uh, social media that you can give out in case somebody wants to say hi? Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, my name is Pat Osus. That's O-S-O-S. So, so backwards. If you want to reach out to me that way, I, I have no need for a website or anything like that. 
Um, maybe in the future, I, I didn't mention this, I paint in watercolor too, so eventually maybe when I retire I may do more of that. But no, nah, I, I have no desire to, uh, or need, I shouldn't say desire, I have no need for a website. So that's the best way to get a hold of me. Okay. Uh, thank you, Pat, for coming on the show. Hey, it was such a pleasure. Uh, thank you for hearing some of my stories. I, I hope you enjoyed them. I did. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. Bye. Uh-huh.